Uh, hey guys, your old pal Brad here. Uh, as I was listening back to this episode before I hit the publish button, uh, I noticed that the audio quality really is not good in some of these segments. So uh, my sincerest apologies in doing that. I recorded it in a different way that was a little more comfortable in my current physical capacity, and as such, the, the audio just didn't turn out. Uh, so I will keep that in mind for next time. Uh, so please bear with me. Uh, don't hate me too much. And I hope you enjoy this episode of the Salvage Title Podcast. Hey everybody, it is Friday, January 4th, 2019, and you are listening to the Salvage Title Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Brad Isaac, and I'm here to talk to you about car news, car culture, and car whatever. Took a little bit of time off for the holiday season. I hope you had a fantastic Christmas, New Year's, uh, whatever other celebration you may have had in between there. Uh, I hope it was a good one. Me, myself, well, I'm still recovering, it feels like. I have just been absolutely physically and mentally exhausted as the year wrapped up, and today uh, I still feel a little under the weather, so bear with me as I feign my enthusiasm for things that are going on as best I can. Uh, so today, uh, in terms of car news, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, a story that broke uh, late last night, early this morning. Uh, it's a story that I meant to record a whole episode about uh, a little more than a week ago. Uh, it's the resale of a 1994 Toyota Supra with only 7,000 miles on it uh, that just sold at auction for over, well over six figures. Uh, we definitely need to consider what that means, especially when a new Supra is on the horizon, and uh, what it means as the 25-year import ban on Japanese vehicles uh, continues to be lifted on these uh, really well-regarded vehicles. So we'll talk about that in the news segment. In the culture segment, uh, I wanted to highlight something that's kind of going on with crossovers again. Who knows? You know, it's, it's always going to happen. It's big news everywhere. Uh, GM pulled the wraps off the Blazer uh, fully, they have announced pricing, uh, all that kind of stuff, and holy shit is that one expensive crossover. Uh, so we'll talk a little bit about how weird that is, and generally how weird it is that GM stuff is so expensive by comparison to so many other brands these days. And then last up, one more GM car, it's on my mind. It's the Saturn Sky. I don't know if you remember the Saturn Sky, but it's a well-loved car to some people that deserves some attention again these days, I think. So all that and more, guys, after the bump. So to kick things off here uh, in the news segment, I want to talk a bit about the uh, crazy prices that used... Japanese cars, specifically Japanese and air quotes exotic cars, uh, are getting on auction sites and in auction uh, situations all across the country. And it's only going to get worse, I think, in 2019 and 2020. If you've never been over to the website bringatrailer.com, it's a really awesome curated auction website that feeds the need of a lot of people uh, who are into car culture. Uh, I spend probably a couple hours a day going onto that website, checking to see what's being listed, checking to see what got sold. Um, it's just a really cool place to see 
where people's car interests are at and seeing what kind of things have been preserved and what other people are looking to do to maybe continue that on as this car or truck or motorcycle passes hands from one person to another. And so the weird thing that we've been seeing over the past year or two has been the explosion in price and value for used Japanese sports cars. Now, when you think of the big Japanese sports cars of the 90s, you know, you're going to inevitably go to the Acura slash Honda NSX. Uh, you're going to get the Toyota Supra in there. You're going to see the Nissan 300ZX and the Mitsubishi uh, 3000 GT, or otherwise known as the GTO. Those cars in particular uh, got a lot of attention in the 90s for being uh, as fast as, if not faster than, the Chevrolet Corvette, uh, the Dodge Viper, uh, the Ferrari 355, and many other cars out there in that era. And uh, as time has moved on, as pop culture has changed, as video games uh, shed a lot of light on the well-engineered, sporty capabilities of these cars, their popularity has only exploded in that time frame. You know, there was a used car dealer here in Grand Rapids, Michigan, back when I was a kid, that frequently traded uh, Acura NSXs, Mazda RX-7s, uh, Toyota Supras, many other cars from that mid-late 90s era. And uh, we were seeing them selling for, you know, somewhere in the mid $20,000 range at the time. And, you know, it being the early aughts, that was still a lot of money for a car. Uh, a well-equipped Toyota Camry was still somewhere around twenty-five dollars to $27,000, and to pay that much for what was almost a 10-year-old Supra at the time uh, was mind-boggling. But even then, as time moved on, we went through the cash crisis and so many other things, uh, the values of those JDM cars kind of held steady at somewhere between about twenty-five dollars to $40,000. Car um, and Driver wrote a big article a couple years ago about how much sporty uh, fun you can have for 25 grand, whether it's buying a new car like a Volkswagen GTI or a Mazda Miata versus that of a used Toyota Supra Twin Turbo. And, you know, they were saying how crazy it was that this car was $25,000, and yet that number has only increased as time goes on. Uh, it seems like the NSX is kind of in that same bubble. It's like, for some reason, it's just the NSX and the Supra that really seem to have exploded in this situation. Not that the RX-7 isn't in there. Uh, those can still trade for obscene amounts of five-figure dollars. Uh, but the NSX and Supra are just regularly hitting six figures. And it's crazy. So this car in particular that was on Bring a Trailer was a 1994 Toyota Super Twin Turbo, so that's the second year of the fourth generation model. Uh, it had a lovely red exterior that was really well maintained. Uh, there really weren't any modifications done to the car at all. Um, it was about as stock as it could possibly be. Obviously, there's some parts that got changed out. Uh, but when the car only did 7,100 miles total, you know, it's basically a brand new car. So, late last week, when it first went on sale, you know, I was checking the price, you know, it's in the 40s, it's in the $60,000 range, okay, you know, sure, fine, whatever. I check it at the start of this week when I get back to work, it's at $90,000, and then last night it sells for $121,000. Uh, I don't know if that's officially the most expensive Toyota Super Twin Turbo ever to sell at auction, I doubt that that's going to hold as the highest one if it is that. Um, you know, this is this is a time where 
collectible Japanese sports cars are going to continue exploding in the same way that I think American muscle cars did in the late aughts and into the early 20-teens. Uh, these cars are being seen as, a, as investment potential for a lot of people, which really sucks because those of us who grew up driving these cars in games like Gran Turismo or in Forza Motorsport, you know, we want to be able to own these things. And for a long time, they were relatively affordable and they're relatively maintenance-free, which is always a good thing. Uh, but yeah, man, this is crazy. What I think is going to be really interesting to me is how much the market reacts when the new Supra comes out. Now, there's still a lot of stuff that we don't know about the new Supra, and namely, that's the pricing of it. Toyota has said that they want to make it relatively, in air quotes, affordable. But if that means, you know, the market $50,000 or so that you usually get for a 400-ish horsepower sports coupe, I, I don't find that to be prohibitively expensive for a lot of people, but at the same time, you know, I'd love to see it a little bit cheaper uh, myself. Uh, but if, you know, you get the option of a brand new Toyota Supra that is going to be lighter, faster, better handling, uh, probably a little more comfortable, and overall, I mean, it's new, it's going to have a warranty and so much else, uh, why would you spend six figures on a on one of those older Supras, especially when you can't guarantee that that value is going to stick for a long time. We've already seen the American car collecting uh, levels kind of collapse a little bit, uh, where, you know, a Hemi-powered Dodge Challenger uh, would have traded for almost $300,000 just a few short years ago. You're kind of hard-pressed to see them go for much more than $150,000 to $175,000. Uh, it's it's weird. Car collecting is weird. I will freely admit that. Uh, it's it's one thing that I would love to do if I ever won the lottery, but the games that get played on prices and values and who likes what and who doesn't like what is always going to be a mess. And I think the JDM explosion is here. Uh, it's definitely going to be here to stay. Uh, we do have the 25-year import ban coming up on a lot of very important and very popular vehicles here. Um, so it's going to be the 1993 model year uh, that's available for import now. So we're going to get things like the 1993 Nissan Skyline R33. Uh, the for beginning early models of the fourth generation Toyota Supra uh, are going to be available. Uh, we're going to start getting into NSX Type R's are going to be uh, available to bring in. Uh, we're going to see things like the RX-7. I think, what is this? I don't think the RZ was in there, but it's going to be the good RX-7s. Uh, the really fancy, uh, what is it, the Type RA models or whatever they called it. I'm, I'm getting the names mixed up here. Uh, we're getting into prime time Japanese collectible cars. Uh, and it's very exciting as a fan of those vehicles, um, but the market is going to get weird and I guess it'll be worth watching. So if you get a chance, definitely head on over to bring a trailer, bringatrailer.com. Uh, check out some of those used car values. And also, if you have a chance, go on over to a website like Japanese Classics. I think it's japaneseclassics.com. Uh, they are a JDM importer that's based down in Virginia. And they bring in some really cool cars from time to time. And it's been really interesting seeing how those values have kind of fluctuated over the past year or two. Um, as the R30 
two skylines kind of peaked about a year or so ago. Um, you know, the GTRs are here. They're still very expensive to bring in. Uh, they've kind of fallen back down a little bit. Um, and as the R33 models are now available for import, those are starting to float up a little bit higher. Um, you'd still be kind of hard-pressed to find an R33 going for much more than $20,000 unless you get to a GTR. I've still yet to see an R33 GTR hit the market. Uh, that might be another year, if I remember correctly, for the uh, U.S. to be able to bring those in. But, man, it's a crazy time. So if you get a chance, check those websites out. It's definitely worth a look. So over the past couple of months, uh, I've talked a lot about the new Chevy Blazer uh, as a vehicle that I'm really looking forward to going into 2019. I think I even named it as one of my things I was most thankful for back around Christmas that GM was doing this really aggressively styled crossover uh, that has some serious sporting credentials uh, that appear to be added to this vehicle uh, going into the new year. And uh, what a gift to me that earlier this week, GM finally unloaded the configurator on Chevrolet.com and we were able to mess around with some prices and almost all of my enthusiasm blew away in some kind of freak accident. Uh, this thing is, it, it, it's a thing. I, I, I don't really know what I can say about it that isn't particularly mean. Uh, you know, base trim versions of the Blazer, they look okay, to say the least. They look pretty pedestrian uh, by comparison to some of the images that we were shown early on when this vehicle debuted. Uh, you know, cheap wheels, basic cloth interior, you know, it does come with an 8-inch touchscreen that does Apple CarPlay and Android Auto. That's pretty good. Uh, the 2.5 liter inline 4 that's in it, you know, it's an okay engine. The 9-speed automatic that it's attached to is an okay gearbox. Uh, and for $33-ish thousand dollars for the base trim model, I don't think you're getting a bad deal necessarily, but I just don't know if it's a smart way to spend your money uh, when there's other vehicles in that price range that arguably might be a little bit better. The model that I was most interested in, of course, is the RS trim. Uh, now, the RS is the one that is styled most like the Chevrolet Camaro, which I think is a, a pretty good-looking car, even if the new looks are a little polarizing. Uh, but the RS trim adds some sporty stuff on the outside. It adds some cool red trim stuff on the interior. You know, you bump up to leather seats, all this other cool stuff. Um, but it does require you to option the V6, which adds like $4,000 to the price of the crossover. And then at that point, only the V6 can be had with uh, optional all-wheel drive if you want it. And it's like a $1,400 option. So I go, well, you may as well do that. And then you want some of the nice things that go along with this because it's basically become a luxury SUV at that point. So, you know, you get the driver's convenience package. You know, maybe you get that panoramic sunroof. And in the end, you end up with a nearly $50,000 crossover SUV sporty type thing uh, and that's just insane to me for something that's supposed to slot between the Equinox and the Traverse for $50,000 that's not a luxury vehicle it does not have a Buick badge or a Cadillac badge on the front I think you'd have to be fucking crazy to spend that kind of money Curiosity, of course, got the best of me, and I headed on over to Acura's configurator page, 
and the new RDX came out just a short while ago, and while the RDX might be a little bit smaller than this new Blazer, more or less, they're going to compete with one another, both meant to be sporty crossovers, or in some cases, slightly more luxurious, stylish crossover choices compared to other options in the marketplace. Uh, but a well-equipped Acura RDX with the A-Spec package with the fancy, uh, tri I don't know if it's a tri-color blue, it's the really fancy, really sexy royal blue color uh, with that red leather interior. Oh my god, chef's kiss of execution on Acura's behalf. Uh, that model, fully loaded, all the option boxes ticked, $46,000. Almost $4,000 cheaper than the Chevy. I can't for the life of me figure out why anyone would buy the Chevy over the RDX. I mean, sure, it's got a V6. It has an equally trick all-wheel drive system to some extent. I think the Acuros will probably lend to a little more sporting credentials overall. But in the end, what the fuck? Why would anybody spend that kind of money on a Chevy? Looking into other models to compare this to, and granted, we don't have official pricing yet on the Honda Passport, but the Honda Passport's going to be a similarly sized vehicle. It does come equipped with a V, or does come equipped with a standard V6. There's available all-wheel drive, uh, or excuse me, I think on the Passport the all-wheel drive is standard. Uh, but Honda's Safety Sense technology is standard on the vehicle. It's optional on the Chevy. Uh, the Honda does have Apple CarPlay and Android Auto available. You do have to step up to higher trim levels, uh, presumably on the Passport, uh, to get that. But more or less, dollar for dollar, you're probably looking at a Passport that'll cost less than $40,000, that'll be equally sized to the Chevrolet. And in the end, the Chevrolet, with that V6, with the all-wheel drive, uh, with some of the niceties that you'd expect dollar for dollar compared to the Passport, is probably going to go well north of $40,000. And that's just shocking, shocking that they're going to be that expensive. And it's a trend that I've been noticing a lot with GM as of late. I think I've talked about pickup truck pricing on here before. And it's interesting to me that the Silverado with the similarly choiced engines, transmissions, option packages, so on and so forth to the F-150 and the Ram 1500 is oftentimes four to $6,000 more than their competitors. The Chevrolet Equinox, a smaller crossover that uh, is going to go in under the Blazer. Uh, that one, in many cases, was similarly trim-leveled equipment to like something like a Honda CRV or a Toyota RAV4, is four to six thousand dollars more than its competitors. And in the end, I go, what's the point? I I don't understand why GM is doing this when inevitably they're going to throw thousands of dollars of discounts at this vehicle from the dealership. They're going to do a bazillion price incentives on a national scale, and especially here in the Midwest, because they continue to lose uh, sales to other competitors on a pretty frequent basis. They're inevitably going to offer some kind of employee discount thing at the end of the year, like they always do. And so I go, why? Why price it this high? Why price it out of contention with so many different vehicles? I mean, sure, maybe they'll go a year and they'll revise it like a lot of brands do, uh, but this just seems crazy crazy to me how this thing has been priced i i know that suvs are popular i know that they're taking over for a lot of cars out there in the market today uh, as the vehicle of choice uh, in many situations but even at fifty thousand dollars there are some really 
really good alternatives that you can get that have four doors on each side that I would much rather spend that kind of money on than that Chevy. I don't think I've ever flipped on a car so fast in my life once I see the sticker price of the car. Admittedly, when the North American International Auto Show shows up here in a couple of weeks, I'm probably going to spend a lot of time looking at this vehicle because I still hate how much I like the overall idea of it, but in terms of actually being able to afford it and be happy with the purchase that I have, no way. No how, not ever, would I ever spend $50,000 on a Chevy Blazer. So last up, a car that's on my mind, that is the 2007 to 2010 Saturn Sky. Now it's important to remember that the Saturn Sky was the sister vehicle to the Pontiac Solstice, uh, which had debuted at the North American International Auto Show, I think in 2004, as a concept car. And Bob Lutz, who was a car guy's car guy, uh, was running GM at the time, and he promised to get the car on the road within two years, and he ended up being able to do it by uh, many of the magical ways GM can cut costs and save on development and so many other things. More or less, the Solstice in the Sky, they ran on a platform that was shared with the Chevy Corvette in a roundabout way. It was basically a downsized version of the Chevy Corvette platform. It was exclusive uh, to these particular cars and their uh, foreign market branded models as well. Um, they used a lot of parts from other GM vehicles to save on the overall cost of the car. So at least in terms of the Pontiac, you had lights that were on the back of it that were from the GMC Envoy. Uh, the brakes came off of the Cadillac CTS. Uh, the transmission came out of, or the, excuse me, the engine and transmission came out of the small cars that were available at the time. So the Chevy Cobalt and the Saturn Scott, or excuse me, the Saturn Ion. Um, you know, the radio was a common unit that was in almost all of GM's vehicles at the time. Uh, the gauge cluster was shared with, I don't remember which car, which car it was, but it was like a lot of the stuff outside of like the general plastic moldings for a lot of the parts in both the Sky and the Solstice. Uh, they were things that GM just had. And they went, yeah, sure, that'll work. Go ahead, go do it. And these cars went on the road almost instantly, and they were huge, well, I shouldn't say huge, they were pretty big sales successes, especially here in the United States. Now, the Saturn Sky in particular was a little bit more of an interesting car because it got overworked uh, by Opel, GM's German subsidiary at the time, so it had a slightly tuned retuned suspension, had a little more European style inside and out. Uh, the car was also sold as a Daewoo uh, in Korea uh, as well. And the Sky, you know, whether or not you prefer the Sky to the Solstice, I think depends a lot on how you prefer your cars to be styled. Uh, the Solstice kind of had a very round, bubbly appearance. It always looked a little more fun to me, uh, but the Sky always looked like it was the one that would be most appropriate to drive every day. Now these cars, they when they came out with the standard 2.4 liter inline four and the five-speed automatics and the five-speed manual transmissions, uh, they were known for having a little more torque off the line compared to the Mazda Miata, but would lose in a race because they were a little bit heavier. Handling-wise, they were about neck and neck with the Miata. Uh, if anything, maybe the NC Miata at the time was a little more fun. Uh, but in terms of size, 
and drivability and usability every day. I believe the Solstice and the Sky were often viewed as a little more comfortable, but a little less capable because the when the roof went down on both cars, it took up so much space behind the driver. In the end, I think what's most interesting about the Saturn Sky is that you can find these things around you for not a whole lot of money. And many of these cars were really well taken care of because they were sold to, you know, middle-aged men and women who wanted just a fun little toy and they, you know, they kept up with maintenance and they, they didn't drive it in the rain or in the snow. And lo and behold, you know, they, they've turned out to be really good used car values. So I was poking around earlier today on autotrader.com and I found a Saturn Sky uh, that just must have gotten traded in from Mazda Miata, I'm guessing. Uh, but it's a 2008 model uh, with the 2.4 liter inline four and a five-speed automatic with just over 117,000 miles on the odometer. They want nine grand for it at this local Mazda dealer, which well, is a little high, I would say, and I'm certain that they would walk that price down just a little bit. That seems like a pretty good value. After all, that 2.4 liter engine is known for being a very reliable GM uh, engine for the most part. Uh, you know, it's pretty powerful. The five-speed Ison uh, transmission is known for being a pretty good unit uh, by most uh, considerations uh, in a lot of things. And, you know, a lot of the parts that are underneath the car, like I said, are carried over from Cadillac, from GMC, uh, from a lot of other brands that GM had in their portfolio at the time. And in the end, you know, if you wanted a two-door sports car that's nine-tenths of a Miata in terms of fun, uh, would match it in reliability, and in the end, wouldn't be that expensive to own or operate for a long time. I don't think it's a bad buy. Uh, you know, whether this car is going to serve as an icon for years to come in the same way that the Mazda Miata has, I have serious doubts. Even compared to the Solstice inside the GM brand alone, I think the Solstice will definitely uh, be held in higher regard compared to the Saturn. But... I think I kind of have to say that I think I prefer the Saturn out of the two, especially when you get into the red line trims. Uh, that one just always seemed to look a little bit better than the Pontiac did. Although, Pontiac did do the hardtop GXP Solstice, and that was a really cool car. So maybe we'll have to talk about that one on another date. But yeah, Saturn Sky, something worth looking at if you got the time to do it. Well, guys, that just about wraps up this episode of the Salvage Title Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Brad Isolake, and you can follow me on Twitter at twitter.com slash Y-S-S-M-A-N. You can also follow along with uh, new episodes that get released to this podcast uh, at anchor.fm slash Y-S-S-M-A-N, or dive into the archives that are available here. We're also available for free on a wide variety of podcasting platforms, including Apple iTunes Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts, and so much more. So if you could do me a favor, if you're listening to us on there, uh, make sure you subscribe. Um, if you're able to give a rating, uh, if you could do so, that would be great. And if you like what you hear, share it with your family, share it with your friends. Uh, I'd love to continue growing this podcast. It has grown a bit over the past year, um, but we, you know, it's not about the followers. It's not about the uh, the hits. I don't know what you want to call them, the listens. Uh, it's just about doing something that I enjoy. Uh, we do some other variations of this podcast as well. We've got one called the Side 
uh, scrap stories. Uh, the scrap stories uh, for the show kind of focus in on one particular topic, and they can go long form, or sometimes they might only be a couple minutes long. Uh, nevertheless, it lets me get some ideas out of my brain. I didn't get what done this week because uh, I've been busy. Holy cow. It's, it was crazy at work this week, uh, so sorry about that. We'll hope to get one done early next week. If you got a topic, shout me out. You can drop me a line here at anchor.fm slash YSSMAN. Uh, we also do another version called the uh, Salvage Title Car Buyer's Guide. We go into a segment of vehicles. We break down what I feel are the three best options and add a fourth option for flavor. That car might not necessarily be the best choice, but at least it's one that's worth looking at. Um, one thing that I've had floating around in my mind at least to do for that is a uh, new driver's car buying guide. Uh, so what I'm thinking is uh, set a price cap of about six grand, and kind of get an idea of what I think would be a good first-time driver's car. Um, we'll do our best to keep it within the realm of a decent price, uh, something that's reliable, something that's okay on gas. As much as it would be a situation where you want to recommend the Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse, which would be the Chevy B-Body, the Ford Panther Platform, the Volvo 240, and the, what is it, the fourth generation Toyota Camry? Third generation Toyota Camry? Uh, yeah, not always perfect for everybody, but uh, hey, we'll, we'll, we'll step around that as best we can. Uh, but yeah, that's about it, guys. I hope you have a fantastic start to your 2019. Um, if you got the weekend coming up ahead of you, make sure you uh, take your car through the car wash, prevent some rust development. If you're here in the Midwest, it's going to be happening to everybody's car here very soon. And uh, just be safe and enjoy yourself. Continue to relax. It's still the start of a new year. Don't have to worry about anything new until next week when all the kids go back to school. So until the next episode, guys, we'll see you very soon. Bye-bye.